Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus, and transform Hoxton. Welcome to, uh, welcome to Sunday. Um, and as you know, Remembrance Sunday. And we're continuing our um, series on... Uh, Jesus, uh, his word, and his works. And if I can remember the code to get into my iPad. Success. Correct. Um, This morning, we're looking at what Jesus uh, has to say uh, about war. Um, And for most of us, um, war uh, is not our lived experience. Um, For most of us, it's something that's happened in the past. Maybe we've got friends or relatives who've been involved in the armed forces. Um, My uh, grandfather, I'm I'm old enough to have a grandfather who um, fought in the the First World War. Um, And the next slide is a a photograph um, of the medals that he was awarded, um, including uh, the military cross. why he was given the military cross, we have not been able to discover, which is a real, a real shame. Um, but war is horrendous. Uh, and my grandfather never, ever spoke about his experiences. Um, the only time he spoke uh, about his experiences was the annual trip he made back to his regiment, where he met up with those with whom he had fought. Um, thankfully, thankfully for me, um, he survived. Uh, My father uh, fought in the Second World War. Um, He fought in a, uh, the next slide, um, a a group called the Chindits. Um, They were uh, an army group that uh, were specifically set up to fight in Burma. um, And they were dropped behind enemy lines um, to fight and break the Japanese uh, front line in Burma. They basically had to fight their way back from Burma back to India. Um, My father didn't really talk about that either. Uh, We may have friends. I have a friend who um, fought more recently in the Falklands conflict um, uh, and in the Northern Ireland conflict. You two may have such friends. And of course, the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war uh, are more recent. But I'm conscious that for some of us, a war is a recent experience, giving rise to trauma, loss of family and friends, dislocation from one's country. War destroys communities. It destroys families and infrastructure, destroys the economic fabric of a country, and the personal consequences for the combatants and for the civilians caught up in it uh, are often long-term physical problems um, and psychological harm. And it creates division and distrust between nations and people groups. And as we saw in the uh, aftermath of the um, Iran-Iraq conflict, um, if that's handled badly, then the consequences, um, further problems can be uh, created and caused. And yet, sadly, war remains a reality uh, in this world. Um, The next slide um, shows where there was conflict, uh, armed conflict, um, in uh, 2021. 
about a quarter of all countries in the world are currently involved in some form of war, armed conflict or insurrection. It seems that war will always be a part of our human experience. So what did Jesus have to say about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on this Sunday when we remember those who have gone before us, who have given and sacrificed their lives for our sake, that we could enjoy freedom. Lord, we ask, uh, I ask for your um, blessing uh, on this talk. Lord, may your words be heard rather than mine. In Jesus' name, amen. So what did Jesus have to say about war? Uh, actually, not very much, um, which is a bit of a problem when you're trying to uh, craft a sermon. Um, Jesus never spoke directly about war. He never said whether he approved of war or he didn't. Um, it wasn't really an issue. And why might that have been? Well, because at the time that Jesus lived, he lived in the time of the Roman Empire. And Israel was a vassal state. It was an occupied territory of the Roman Empire. And there was the, what was known as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. Uh, and if you uh, became a, a vassal state of the Roman Empire, then the Roman Empire guaranteed your country peace, peace from warring neighbours, uh, its army would uh, protect you. Um, and the Jewish nation, the Jewish leaders, were able to um, uh, agree with the Romans that uh, Jews were exempted from conscription in the Roman army. So normally if a country was occupied, the men in that country would get conscripted into the Roman legions. For the Jews, they had an exception. So it wasn't actually a practical problem. Um, one of the questions might be whether, you know, as a Christian, can you be a soldier? Uh, at Jesus, in Jesus' time, whether a Jew could be a soldier wasn't a question because it didn't arise. Um, because of the exemption that they had. And the question only um, arose when um, Christ Christianity became the state religion of the Roman Empire in the fourth century. Um, and at that point, Christians could be conscripted. So it was a very real question, can a Christian uh, be uh, a soldier? So what does Jesus say? We have to sort of look around the New Testament, around the Gospels, to see what he might have said about this. And of course, I suppose we start with his, um, his conversation um, with the rich young ruler, um, where the rich young ruler says he's kept all the commandments, and Jesus picks out, you shall not murder or, or kill from the Ten Commandments. Um, clearly, that was important. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He also said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
The Lord's Prayer, which he taught us, of course, requires us to forgive those who sin against us. And if we just look at Jesus' ministry, we see that he refused to engage in political or coercive means to communicate his message, his gospel, to communicate the kingdom of God. He was no zealot. He wasn't going to take up arms against the Roman Empire. He had a different message. And of course, ultimately, we see at the end of his ministry in his passion that he submitted to the powers that be, the earthly powers. He refused to fight back. He submitted to what was to come. You may remember that little passage in the Passion narrative when Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and the, uh, the Jewish um, soldiers come from, from the chief priest uh, and one of the disciples cuts off the, uh, the ear of the servant of the, chief, uh, of the high priest. And Jesus says, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And after our, our reading from Mark, we see that Jesus spoke about future wars that would happen. And he encouraged his followers to, who were in Judah to flee to the mountains, not to fight back, but to flee. There seems to be a clear theme running through those passages. But what of these other parts of the New Testament, other parts of Jesus' ministry? He said in the Sermon on the Mount as well that if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And that was a reference to the fact that a Roman soldier could demand any citizen to carry his pack for him. Uh, and the normal distance was a mile. So Jesus is saying, no, 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 go further than that. Walk two miles. Didn't seem to be criticizing the right of the Roman soldier to do that. In fact, he never disapproved of military service. The centurion if you remember, came and asked Jesus to heal his servant, which Jesus does. But Jesus makes no comment on the centurion's role and job. Jesus accepted, as I said, the authority of civil government. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, a famous saying of Jesus. Does that mean that we have to comply with a government call to arms? And yet, Jesus seemed to be advocating peace, but then he used violence to clear the temple, to clear the temple of the, of the money changers and the people selling doves and, and animals for sacrifice. He even, according to John's gospel, made a whip that he used uh, uh, to, to, to clear the temple. Violence. Jesus also said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And in Luke's account of the Last Supper, Jesus reminds his disciples that when they started out on ministry with him, he told them to go out in pairs and to take nothing with them, just to go out and trust in the Lord's provision. But now, he says to them, as he's approaching the cross, he says that if they have a purse, they should take it. If they have a bag, they should take that. And if they don't have a sword, they should sell their cloak and buy one. And as we heard from the reading from Mark, future wars were going to happen. It all seems a bit confusing. Do these passages seemingly approving of violence 
mean we should ignore the fundamental Christian ethic of love and justice. I think there are good reasons to say no, but I don't have time this morning to unpack um, those passages that I've just read. And the Sermon on the Mount is the key teaching from Jesus. It's like a, a, a re rewriting of the Ten Commandments for the new covenant. And Jesus' teaching there, as we've heard, is clearly that we should show mercy, we should be peacemakers, we should forgive offences. It seems to me to be very clear that violence, fighting and conflict and war should be avoided by Christians. So how then should we respond when war seems to be an ever-present reality? Scholars are almost unanimously agreed that for the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians were pacifists. They understood that Jesus was teaching that we are a people of peace. And we see this in the letters of the early church. Uh, Paul tells the Roman church, do not become over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He tells the Corinthian church, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, as we've sung earlier this morning. Paul's constant greeting to his churches, just as we started our service this morning, was grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is constantly mentioning peace. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a gospel of peace. James, in his letter, says that peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And the writer of Hebrews encourages his hearers to make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Clearly, peace and, and being a peacemaker was a virtue, is a virtue, a mark of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are three uh, different ways of, of responding to this. Um, the early church were pacifists. They didn't get involved in war. They didn't become soldiers. And many parts of the church today hold to pacifism. The Quakers, um, the Franciscans in the Catholic Church, the Anabaptists uh, and the Mennonites all hold to pacifism. And the pacifist message is just don't get back at each other. Let people who cause violence answer to God. For he is the judge. He is the one who will ultimately show mercy or judge in his own time. Paul reiterates Jesus' message that we should love our enemies. And if loving our enemies, our neighbours as ourselves, is the foundation of all Christian ethics, then the biggest challenge we face is how to deal with neighbours um, who are um, aggressive. How can we treat them ethically? A pacifist, however, need not be passive in the face of oppression and hatred. It isn't meant to tell oppressed people that they should just sit down and take it. It's meant to empower people to think creatively about how to respond to violence and injustice. How to respond in non-violent ways. A pacifist would say, as Christians, we don't fear death. Our refusal to do violence is a powerful and lasting testimony witnessing to the non-violent love of Jesus Christ. 
We do more good for the gospel by being willing to lay down our weapons and dying than by taking those weapons up. We've seen that in the, um, the life and, and ministry of, of Martin Luther King, for example, in, in America, in the, in the civil rights movement. But what might be wrong with the pacifist approach? Would it have allowed Hitler to succeed in the Second World War, or Osama bin Laden, or ISIS? Does it allow evil to prosper? Paul seems to grant civil governments the right to use force to restrain and punish evil. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Peter also said, submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. These passages suggest that Christians need to submit to civil rulers and should therefore take their place in the civil army. And to reconcile these passages of scripture, then some sort of distinguish between how you're acting the Christians fight in a war not as an ambassador of the church, but as an ambassador of their country. The church is not to use violence, but the government may at times do so. Therefore, when an, a Christian is under the authority of the government and authorized to fight in a war on the nation's behalf, it is appropriate for him to fight, they would argue. He's not fighting as a private individual, but as a representative of the government, which God has given uh, the power to, to use the sword. So if a Christian is permitted to fight as an ambassador for his country, then how does he or she know that the war is permissible? And so this led to the development of a theory called just war, um, an attempt um, which has been developed over the, over the centuries. Um, and by and large, what it says is that pacifism is the ideal. That's what we should subscribe to. That's what we should be, be aiming for. But it's a, perhaps a naive and an unrealistic uh, approach. Whilst peace and peacemaking should always be the priority, our first option, we live in a world where that is often just not possible. So, it doesn't argue that war is morally good. It remains an evil. But it's the lesser of two evils. Confronted with the evil of something like the Nazis in Germany and the Second World War, it's a lesser evil to go to war to fight against it, to prevent that greater evil. And so it invites us to ask, what are the reasons for engaging in war? What are just ways of actually engaging in that war? And what are just ways of behaving after that war? And there are various formulations. Um, it seems to me there are about eight rules. And every single one of these rules has to be met in order for a war to be considered just. So um, there needs to be a just cause so stopping the massacre of a, of a people group. Um, Self-defense where one's territory is invaded. There needs to be just authority 
This means that the government enacting war has the legal authority to take that action. It has the support of its allies, the support of its population. It has the support of bodies like the uh, UN or, or NATO. So there are checks and balances to the use of this power. And most importantly, that it has to be last resort. That all diplomatic channels have been used, have been exhausted. That there is no other non-violent means of preventing war. There has to be a just intention. And the only legitimate intention must be to secure the peace and safety for all involved. The aim is to secure, um, uh, is to secure a safe world. There also has to be probability of success, and that means that there must be a reasonable chance of achieving your goals. And there has to be proportionality of cost, which means that the lives saved will outweigh the lives lost. And so therefore, nuclear war can never be a just war. The cost in civilian lives and the damage to the planet was just, is just far too high. There has to be a clear announcement the government needs to clearly state that it's going to war and what the conditions are to be met for the opposition to um, avoid war. And it has to be fought by just means. It has to be fought ethically, according to international law, according to rules like the Geneva Convention. So just war doesn't argue that war is a moral good, it's an evil. It's the lesser of two evils. And those who serve in the military are putting their lives on the line for the sake of our security and safety. And for that reason, we should honour and thank them. But we shouldn't glorify war. It is and remains an evil. Indeed, as participants in an evil, um, I think Scripture teaches that soldiers need to seek forgiveness for their participation in war and a forgiveness that our gracious Father gladly grants. As John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We live in a complicated world. A pacifism and just war theory answer the ethical question whether it's ever morally justified to kill. Pacifism says no, just war says sometimes. But both assume that war is inevitable. And so more recently, there's been uh, a development called just peacemaking, which is a theory that's now widely used uh, in ethics and international peacekeeping. And it's based on the biblical premise, as we've heard, that we are to be active peacemakers, that we're to advocate for justice, whether that's racial justice, economic justice, social justice. It's an ethic that says systematic justice is part and parcel of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's enacting justice to prevent violence. It argues that in an era where we have weapons of mass destruction, drone warfare, terrorism, non-state warfare, just war theory just isn't uh, enough. It's a bit outdated. We need get involved in active war prevention. And so it involves hard-nosed negotiation between the parties and the combatants. Uh, it requires a realism between the parties. Um, it encourages non-violent direct action, promoting democracy, human rights, and religious liberty. 
And in just peacemaking, the focus is always on bringing about peace and avoiding war. It's about creating a culture of dialogue and peace. The challenge, of course, is that it requires both parties, or all the parties, to uh, cooperate. And sometimes that's not possible. So I think just peacemaking and just war principles give political leaders a wide range of options in confronting injustice. What those leaders then require is wisdom in choosing and implementing those options. And Jesus' admonition to his disciples, I think, is the best advice. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So, in conclusion, for most Christians this is complicated. It's up to you to decide from your reading of scripture where you land. Are you a pacifist? Do you subscribe to just war theory uh, or just peacemaking theory? I think for me, I'm a mixture of all three. That we strive for peace and just peacemaking really, really encourages that. But there comes a point where evil, that we face such evil that we need to go to war. And in that context, the just war principles do um, help us. But wherever we land, what should unite us is the belief that the Trinitarian God whom we worship is a God of peace, who calls us to be peacemakers and to love our neighbours, to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. Violence should always be the last resort if it's ever used, because more often than not our intentions aren't as pure as we'd like to believe. And our concern for our fellow human beings isn't as altruistic as we'd like it, as we think it is. We shouldn't be known as quick to draw, or quick on the draw or ready to assassinate, retaliate or escalate. Rather, as followers of Christ, we should be known as seekers of justice, looking for the common good of all. Lovers of humanity, and bring us of the good news that God has reconciled us to himself through Christ's death and resurrection. And therefore God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So even though there will be wars and rumours of wars, and nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, let's remember what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.